remind us as we're in this series that uh, the Braves are contending for another division championship, kind of swapping back and forth between first and second place, half game up, half game back. But we're kind of in the home stretch uh, of the Braves winning their division. Now that college football season is over, I think we should focus. <laughs> I think we should focus on the championship that we want the Braves to win. Anybody with me, right? Amen. Thank you. Uh, yeah, my team got killed yesterday. And uh, I think we have a bye this coming weekend, so I, I, wouldn't even look for, I wouldn't look for scores for South Carolina next weekend if I were you because I think, I think we're off next weekend. But uh, congrats uh, to those who are still playing college football. This is good, good for you. Uh, how about Georgia Southern? Like any Georgia Southern people in the house? Whoo, yeah, and we'll stop there because we'll offend people if we start shouting out too many lower-level schools who had a good day yesterday. But uh, go Georgia Southern. One of the um, more difficult things about sports and about team sports in particular is that not everybody makes the team, all right? I don't want to bring up any bad memories for you personally, but not everybody makes the team. Teams have what we call cuts, right? Some people get cut. They don't make it. They try out. They get evaluated, perhaps. They go to a few practices. The coaches watch them, observe them, and, and then they don't make the team. Like in the olden days, the list was posted on the coach's door. Like some of you remember that. It's posted on the coach's most humiliating thing possible, right? Out there for everybody to say. Hopefully today they, they text you or email you where you can be humiliated in the privacy of your own home or whatever. But it used to be, it was just out there. You didn't make the team. All of these people did. See, all of these people, they're better than you. You stink. And you didn't make the team. That's tough, right? To be cut is tough. In the NFL, it's, it's really public as well, which they're professionals, right? They're getting paid. But summer camp starts, and for the NFL, it starts with 90 players. And then about mid-August, every week, that has to go down. So 90 has to become 85. 85 has to become 80. And then 80 has to become 53. You can only have 53 on the active roster and it's just a big slash every week uh, of people who didn't make it. Uh, in college, you can have 125 players, but you can only have 85 scholarships. And so if, you're, if you don't get a scholarship, you can be a walk-on. Right? You, can, you can go try out. Just go out there the day the coaches say, sign up. I want to try out. Go through evaluations. And maybe you make it, and maybe you get cut. Getting cut's terrible. This idea of getting cut, uh, I, I want to say two things. I, I want to say something very wonderful about this metaphor I'm using, this illustration I'm using of getting cut from things. I want to say something really wonderful, and then I want to say something really difficult. And, and here's the wonderful thing. The wonderful thing, if you think about Jesus, is Jesus doesn't cut anybody. Like That's, that's the wonderful thing. Jesus' invitation is open. Whosoever will can come to him. He invites people, follow me, follow me. Jesus is not the coach standing over on the sidelines in his coach's shorts and his whistle and his clipboard evaluating how well you're doing to see if you're going to make the team. That's not Jesus. Jesus isn't saying, no, you're too slow. 
you, you, you're not strong enough, you can't catch, you can't hit. That's, Jesus isn't writing down all of your positives and all of your negatives. And then he's going to walk over at the end of the day and say, you didn't make it. Sorry, you didn't make it. We don't have to explain our mistakes to Jesus. If you've ever tried out, like especially when you're a kid, if you ever tried out for a team, you probably remember how nervous maybe you got. Like you got a little bit nervous because you knew making the team was riding on this moment. I got to do my best. You put pressure on yourself, and you probably felt the need to explain your mistakes to the coach. Like, did you ever want to do that? Did you ever want to go over and say, look, coach, normally I catch that ball. Like, Normally, I, I was distracted, but I can usually hit better than this. Having an off day, normally I throw a lot better than this coach. Right? When you're trying out, you want to explain all of your mistakes to the coach so they know I, I'm really better than this. We don't have to do that with Jesus. We don't have to run to the sidelines and say, Jesus, like, normally I don't make that mistake. Jesus, normally I'm better than this. Had a bad moment, gave into some temptation. I, I shouldn't have done that. I know I shouldn't have done that. Jesus, I'm better. I'm a better person than this. We don't have to explain all that to Jesus. Jesus offers grace. He, he offers us forgiveness. This, this isn't a big tryout. He doesn't have a stopwatch on us. How are you doing in the 40? Are you fast enough? You get all your measurables. You have the intangibles, right? He, he's not evaluating us in all of those ways because Jesus has done everything necessary for our salvation, right? He lived. He died. He rose again. He did all the work. Jesus did the tryout for us. Like, he went and he passed. He was perfect, spotless lamb of God who laid down his life for us, rose again for our sins. He's done everything, and he says, come follow me. Just come follow me. I'm not going to cut you. If you want to come follow me, be my disciple. Jesus doesn't cut anybody, but I'm going to say it this way. Jesus allows people to cut themselves. Jesus allows people to cut themselves. Um, Jesus doesn't remove your agency when it comes to following him. That's why he presents it as an invitation. Come follow me. And a person has the ability to say yes or no. I'm going I'm to follow you or I'm not. Jesus doesn't force us to follow him. Jesus doesn't compel us. You have no choice but to follow me. Jesus doesn't cut us, but he he allows us to cut ourselves because coming to faith in Jesus has certain implications. It has certain consequences. We're not just making a one-time decision. In, in Jesus' view, we're committing our life to him. We're committing our life to everything that Jesus would want for us beyond that moment of coming to faith. No, nobody tries out for a team and makes it, and then that's their whole goal. Have you noticed that? They're like, ah, made the team. I'm good. I'm going back home. That's all I want. I just wanted to make the team. I don't really want to go to all the practices. Like, I'm not into that. 
I, I, I don't want to lift weights. I definitely don't want to do stadium stairs, up downs. No, I don't want to do that. Like, I really don't want to travel to games. It's kind of hot and dusty, and it's not my thing. I just wanted to make the team. I wanted to get my jersey, wanted to put my name on the back. I just wanted to make the team, and I'm out. No, making the team means you're signing up for what the team's going to do. Right? You're signing up to participate on the team, to, to go to the practice, to, to, to be your best so that you're ready to play. Joining a team has certain consequences. Saying that you are a follower of Jesus means certain things. It, it has implications for our lives, for our futures. And Jesus did not shy away from this when he talked to people. Jesus was very comfortable saying, if you want to be my follower, you will. If you want to be my follower, this is what your life will look like. If you want to be my follower, this is what you'd be willing to surrender. And then, and then Jesus left the decision with that person at that point. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus' conversation with uh, what we call the rich young ruler, right? This, this uh, successful young person comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to be your follower? What do I need to be saved? And they have this back and forth conversation, but Jesus knows that his wealth and his possessions are more important to him than following God. Jesus knows this is a roadblock. And so Jesus didn't say to him, you know what, just sign up. Nothing else matters. Just sign up and you'll be fine. Jesus said, go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor. Because this is the problem that you have. And you remember what the rich young ruler did? He went away sad, right? He went away sad. Jesus was comfortable saying to people, the price is high. The cost is great. Following me is not just getting on the team. Following me is living your life in a surrendered fashion. Another example, this is Matthew 8. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross the other side to the other side of the lake. When a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I want to be on the team. I'm signing up. I'm going to be one of your disciples. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I want to be on the team. I, I want to be your follower. Jesus said, you, you need to know that following me is not always comfortable. It's not always easy. You, you need to hear before you say yes you need to know there's going to be some difficult roads you're going to travel if you follow me. Jesus was not afraid to say that. This, the story goes on. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. In other words, don't, let's not wait. Why are you putting this off till sometime later? 
Now is the time to follow me. Recognize that following me is going to have its challenges. It's going to have its difficulties. You're going to be asked to surrender some things. As a matter of fact, you're going to be asked to surrender your whole life. Be careful before you say yes, Jesus is saying. Be careful. I mean, do we think that Jesus, the Son of God, who submitted himself to his Father was beaten, was crucified, died on the cross, is calling us to a life of comfort. Is there anything about Jesus' life? That's why he says, you know, I don't, I don't always have a place to lay my head. Do we think that Messiah is calling us to a life that is constantly going to be characterized by struggle and difficulty and sacrifice and giving away our lives and lowering the priority on what I want and what I need. Notice Jesus did not constantly check on everybody's feelings. Jesus was compassionate. Jesus was loving. But at the, mo at the point of of becoming his follower, Jesus didn't ask, how do you feel about this? Jesus said, you're going to walk some difficult roads. Are you willing? Uh, another example. John chapter 6. Jesus has been teaching a crowd again, and he's, he's reminded them of how God sustained his people in the wilderness. He gave them manna. Manna came down from heaven. Bread, little wafers came down from heaven every day. And that's what the children of Israel ate when they were wandering in the wilderness. And Jesus is, is drawing on that picture to say, I'm now the bread that comes down from heaven. There was physical manna that came down from heaven for your ancestors. I have come down from heaven now to be your savior and sustainer. That's me, the bread that you're consuming. It's going to become a part of you. That's me now. And then the scripture says in verse 52, Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. And you have to think the disciples are going, can we not do the eat my flesh, drink my blood talk again? Like the last time you did that, half the synagogue left. Like people just abandoned it. People thought we were correct. Can we not do that talk again, Jesus? But Jesus was willing to say hard things. Jesus was willing to call people to commitment, to try to get them to understand difficult things of who he was and what it meant to walk in relationship with him, for him to be their Messiah. Jesus was exclusive in the way that he talked. 
Jesus did not say, well, you know, I'm one way to heaven, and there's probably a lot of other ways. You know, you find the right one for you. Jesus said, I'm it. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And yeah, there's commitment that's called for if you follow me, but there's no other way to heaven. There's no other way into relationship with Jesus. This was the way Jesus spoke. And some people chose to cut themselves. Some people walked away. As a matter of fact, in this story, verse 66, the Bible says, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. That's too much. That's too much for me. And, and as you read the story, Jesus doesn't beg them to stay. Jesus doesn't say, oh, wait, 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 I misspoke. I mean, let me say that differently. No, please, don't, don't leave us. Don't, don't go away. We'll, change, we'll do it differently. Jesus didn't beg anybody to stay. He was compassionate. He loved people. He wanted them to have eternal life. He wanted them to join with his father, but he knew a commitment to Christ meant something. It meant a life of commitment and dedication. And if they walked away, Jesus did not try to convince them to come back. He, he let them leave. If this commitment was too much for him, he let them leave. Now, if you're hearing this message in a vacuum, like this is the only message you've heard here at Journey, we, we talk all the time about compassion for people and loving our neighbor. We, we talk all the time about showing grace to people. We want people to come to our church. We want people to be a part of our church. We, we have ministries for people in different age groups, and we have cookouts, and we have, part, we have a pickleball group, for crying out loud, all right? That's the pickleball group leader. We, we want people to connect, but, but we also realize, we also realize at some point, you either want to follow Jesus or you don't. Jesus is either beautiful to you or he's not. Jesus is either worth surrendering your whole life to or he's not. And we sometimes create this environment in, in church, in American church, where we're constantly, constantly trying to please people. Oh, we don't, we don't want you to leave. We don't... Okay we'll, okay, we'll do that differently. Okay, we'll start something new because you want something. Okay, okay we, we want to make you happy. And again, again, we have wonderful ministries. We have places for people to connect. We, we want people to come and find relationship here. But I think sometimes in the American church, we are exhausted trying to keep everybody happy, trying to make sure everybody's comfortable trying to make sure nobody's offended and we said it the right way and we couched our words. And Jesus just said, you follow me or you don't. You love me or you don't. You commit your life fully to the person of Jesus 
or you don't. And those other things become secondary. We all have opinions and preferences and things we want. But in, in, in the view of Jesus, those things are so far down the list of Jesus, I want you. I want to follow you. Whether everything is exactly the way I want it or not. Whether all of my prayers get answered or not. Because we come to God that way sometimes, don't we? God, I don't want you to make my life too challenging. I'm following you, so I, I want to have a comfortable life. I don't want to have any real difficulties. I want to be hashtag blessed. I want to have all the stuff. I want my life to go according to my plan. And Jesus never offered that in the New Testament. We offer it, right, because we're trying to make his message sound appealing to everyone. But Jesus, that was never Jesus' message. It was, I love you. And sometimes life is going to be difficult if you follow me. And sometimes it's going to require a commitment. And sometimes you're going to have to lay your life down and your preferences down and, and, and your opinions down for me. But we either want to follow Jesus or we don't. We either want to connect with God's people in a church, physically be present with God's people in a church, or we don't. And there's a limit to what we can do to keep everybody happy when Jesus never tried to do that. The clearest statement Jesus makes is in Luke 14. Luke 14, 25 says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own lives, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus, Jesus failed all the church growth seminars. Because just the time he had a big crowd, he said something inflammatory, right? Every time we read, and there was a large crowd, Jesus said, unless you hate your mother and father, you can't be my disciple. And the crowd got small again. People walked away. People left. People, Jesus said hard things to large crowds because, I, because he knew not everybody in the large crowd really wanted to follow him now is jesus being literal does does jesus mean every christ follower should hate their whole family well, yes and no no not all of us are going to have to do that right but there is the potential that could happen that happens around the globe that someone comes to faith in Christ and they know as they give their life to Christ they're going to be disowned by their family. They're going to be distanced by their family, not just in other countries, in this country. Their, their family is going to move away from them and Jesus says, if I'm not everything to you, even at a cost that great, then you don't understand what it means to follow me. If you're not willing to surrender your life even give up your life if it comes to that it probably will never come to that for us 
But Jesus is setting the standard clearly. This is what it means to come after me and follow me. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Follow me. He goes on to say right after that. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace in the same way. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. This is the this is the commitment. This is the potential cost to you. These are the difficulties and struggles. Think about it before you say yes. That's what Jesus is saying. In every other area of your life, you think about all of the consequences of the next decision. You don't buy a house without thinking about all the consequences. Can I make the payment? What are the taxes? How much is the electricity bill going to be? Is it in an area of town where it's going to increase in value? If you have kids, you want to know, what's the school zone for? You question, you figure out everything else before you make a big decision. And Jesus said, before you give your life to me, you need to think about what it really means to follow me. Jesus loved people. He wanted people to be his follower, but he was unwilling to hide the cost of discipleship, the cost of following after Jesus. And although Jesus and, and Paul and others, they invited people with a whosoever will message, come, give your life to Christ. They were honest. They were honest that just joining the team wasn't the goal. Just praying a prayer wasn't the goal. Following Jesus is surrender. It's everything. Dietrich Bonhoeffer famous, famously wrote, when Christ calls a man or a person, he bids him come and die. Die to self. Die to being first. Die to comfort. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, you're not your own. You've been bought with a, cry, with a price. You're, you're not your own. It's not your decisions and It's not your opinions anymore. You, you belong to Jesus. When we, when we sing songs like we just sang, Jaira, you are enough. You are enough. I know that we go through struggles and some in our church family are going through struggles right now, but let's be honest. Most of our struggles pale in comparison to the struggles of believers around the globe. Pale in comparison. It is relatively easy to come into this room sit in a chair and sing songs about Jesus when there are places in the world that they could be arrested, they could be killed. They, 
they are willing to sacrifice their life. When they sing praises to God, they know this has a cost for me. I'm not criticizing our worship. We live where we live, right? We are where we are. This is the environment that we're in. This, this message could be perceived as, as guilt-inducing in some ways. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I am saying is I think that all of us individually, regularly need to ask, have I become really casual in my relationship to Jesus? Have I just become really casual? Is, is, is it one of many things that's a part of my life? When I compare my commitment to the things of God, the, my passion and desires for the things of God with all of the other things I commit my life to and I'm passionate about and I have desires for, where, where does my relationship to Christ line up, if I'm honest? My clock and my calendar, what do they say about the priority of my life when it comes to following Jesus. Look, Jesus doesn't cut anyone. Jesus doesn't rule anyone out. But he very clearly says, this is what it means to follow me. Are you sure you want to do that? Are you willing to do that? We live in a world with so many distractions, right? So many things that get our energy and our emotion, get our temperature up. So many things we commit ourselves to. So many things we take sides on and form opinions on. And some of those we get so committed to, we confuse those with actually the gospel. We think some of our distractions actually are the gospel when they aren't. It's just that our view of Jesus has become so clouded and so casual and so minimized that we think what we see right in front of us is what is most important. Our senses for the things of God become dulled. Our senses for the things of God become clouded sometimes because of the ease in which we live, sometimes because of the distractions that are constantly around us. Jesus loves you. Jesus invites you to be his follower. But if he came back today and stood in front of you, knew your life, would he see you as his follower? Would he say, this is my disciple? Or would he say, yeah, you've got a long way to go before you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. God, I pray that you would speak to all of us. We, we live at a challenging time in a challenging place because our our life and our faith in so many ways is so easy. Without thinking about it. Our relationship to you just becomes casual. It just becomes another thing. It becomes something that's not that important other than how we can get our needs met or 
take care of what we want. And yet Jesus stood in front of people and said, it's, it's going to be uncomfortable sometimes. It's going to be hard sometimes. It's going to be challenging sometimes. You're going to have to deny yourself and take up a cross and follow me. Teach us to do that. Teach us to worship and sing out of a heart that is fully committed to you. I pray it in Jesus' name.